What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 88 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Of course, 1988 being the year of my birth, so this is a special episode indeed. Not really. I'm joined with my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Doing pretty good. Doing all right. How about you? I'm doing swell. I've, um, I'm, I'm happy because I'm feeling very productive in my life. Um, I'm, I've, I recently released two, count them, two YouTube videos in the span of like a week, and I'm, I'm edging ever so closer to finishing the music video for uh, the, uh, the song Nightmare Inside You. The S&M video? Yeah, the S&M video, pretty much. That's what it's <laughs> going to be known as, I guess. But uh, yeah, off my new, newest album that uh, you guys should totally go out and buy on uh, iTunes or Bandcamp or whatever. Link's in the description. Um, yeah, so I'm feeling productive, so that's a, a good thing. My brain has been pretty good, yeah. good to me lately as far as not giving me too much bullshit. So I'm feeling all right. I did a bonus episode for all our Patreons. Yep, you know, you got to do... Posted it yesterday. You got to do one at least once a year, you know, I mean... <laughs> I'm going to try to do it more than that. It's a yearly obligation. <laughs> your your annual patreon post I, I, i'm gonna try to do it a lot more than that because uh for those of you that don't know and a lot of you probably don't know uh i tweak some things around with uh the rewards and everything or the reward tiers so um a lot more of you can get access to all of the bonus content we did and all of the future bonus content for only five dollars yes i and i i he he didn't consult me on this decision, but when I saw it, I, I I nodded my head and said yes. And I was by myself too. That was the weird part about it. I was in my room, nodding my head, looking saying, at Patreon, and just being like, yes, yes, yeah. And it's like literally, it's like if if you nod your head and say yes, and nobody's around to hear it, did you actually say it? You know, and and yeah, and yeah. who knows? I mean. <laughs> well, actually, the, well, the answer is yes, you do. Hear. I also updated some things uh, to make it so the $10 tier, you can uh, be able to request anything, really, as long as it's a mystery. It doesn't necessarily have to be on Unsolved Mysteries. It can be on other shows, Forensic Files, or just something that's not even on a show. It can be paranormal. It can be true crime. So... That door is open for you guys and gals. People might be wondering what's the difference, you know, because we we've requested things for you guys to cover and you did. But what you don't know is there's a lot of stuff that we've been asked to cover that we, that we haven't covered. But if you are a ten dollar card carrying Patreon member of our of our uh, page there, we will do it no matter what it is, as long as it's mysterious in nature. I mean, obviously, if it's some kind of... Like and you get all the above rewards as well and all of that. And uh, we're going to work on doing a, a special uh, thing for... If you are willing to be even more generous and give us $20 a month, uh, we're going to try to do get some swag together for you. Yes. So we haven't, dude. We've been we've been around for uh, like almost two years, and we don't we still don't have any kind of like merch or anything that no, has our no. podcast. And, 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 and we are gonna we're gonna we are going to change that. So I mean, um, if perhaps it's you can have a fucking tote bag, we can at least get a t shirt <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, forgive our plugging. I, yes. I just uh, we're not going to do this every episode. No. I just wanted to let people know that things have changed, and hopefully. 
uh, for the better because uh, I definitely want to do more bonus content and things like that. I there's one I already have one case I have in mind to talk about that a Patreon already mentioned in a comment. So, and once yeah. again, that's Patreon.com/slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. So our first case that we're going to be talking about is the case of Robert Fisher. And, um, yeah, you know, this guy, he doesn't look guilty at all in the photo, does it, right? He looks like a smug bastard. This guy actually, from, from his appearance, he, uh, he reminds me of, uh, this girl I used to do music with, her boyfriend, who was a, com- yeah. who was a complete psychopath. He's got, like, this Robert Bateman thing going on from American uh-huh. Psycho, where he looks like this all-American... You know, guy. But he looks like Kevin Federline. Yeah, he does kind of. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty damn accurate description. He looks just like Kevin Federline, and 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 he probably kills cats at night just for the the jollies <laughs> of it. But yeah, this guy. Uh, he thought. I guess he was. He thought he was going to get away with the uh, perfect crime, and um, I mean, so far it uh, seems like he has. He did. Yeah. So. <laughs> So good job there, buddy. No, you're a piece of shit. Um, Okay. A powerful explosion rocked a quiet residential neighborhood one morning in Scottsdale, Arizona. The force of the blast ripped through the roof of the house, causing it to burst into flames. Most of the home was destroyed before the firefighters could contain the blaze. The house was owned by Robert and Mary Fisher, who lived there with their two children, 13-year-old Brittany and 10-year-old Bobby Jr. When rescuers (laughs) were finally able to get inside the house, they found the remains of Mary and the two children still in their beds. They appeared to have died in their sleep, but Robert was nowhere to be found. Autopsies of the victims produced a stunning revelation. All three had been stabbed to death. Could Robert, the seemingly dedicated family man, have killed them? Detective John Kirkham of the Scottsdale Police Department was one of the investigating officers. Quoting him here, Robert was a very private person. Outwardly, he was perceived as a good father and good husband, a church-going man. During the investigation, we found that Robert Fisher had a number of faces, a number of masks that he wore. Like most good sociopaths, such as Marie Hilly, that comes to mind. Most people took Robert Fisher at face value, like his sister Jean. My brother loved his kids and his wife. A a year ago, there's no way I would have imagined any of this. I trusted my brother with my life. There's no way I would have thought he would be capable of this. Well, of course, because that's a, a mark of a master manipulator. You know, someone who is a amazing and just despicable sociopath who's able to just put put that across that everything is great you know he's the greatest person he's he's the most wonderful person out there yeah like 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 people that are that people that other people see as capable of doing these kind of things are the people like that one guy what was his name the 50 something year old guy who was married to the 18 year old that we covered on here Oh yeah, you know that asshole. You know he 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 comes off as a dick. He's super controlling. He like shoots 
this guy that the uh, that his wife was uh, a co-worker with or whatever, just, you know, out in broad daylight, just total buffoon, you know, total loser. Yeah. Those are the people that society sees as, quote unquote, capable of doing these kind of things. But there's also another kind of person that society never sees coming, and that's a sociopath. That's the person who masquerades as a normal, caring well put together human being but at night or behind closed doors are secretly raping or killing or whatever and hiding the bodies and and there's a reason why a good chunk of serial killers are also people with sociopathic tendencies yeah yeah like for example ted bundy uh was a good looking guy he also was very charismatic so yeah it's one of those things it's Sometimes your next door neighbor actually might be doing some pretty messed up shit that you don't know about. I think about that a lot where I live. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, most of the people I'm surrounded by in my immediate vicinity are all very elderly, and I, I honestly don't yeah. even think they could lift up a butcher knife, let alone you know hack someone what up. What if they did some fucked up shit in the past and they're just they're hiding out? Yeah, they're they're, they're hiding out. They're ducking out in Florida <laughs> where no one will suspect. You know. Well, it seems like there's a lot of fucking crazy shit dude i know happens in florida there's like so. there's like a whole true crime podcast now out just about florida i noticed on <laughs> itunes the other day i'm like geez i gotta be a guest on that podcast <laughs> like <laughs> see here buddy i'm here to defend my state you don't say you don't talk shit about the sunshine state motherfucker because you know, yeah, we got a lot of murder and, and people fucking with alligators, but we also got the, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Florida Gators and some delicious oranges. No, I don't I don't give a shit about my state, honestly. I would <laughs> I would move if it wasn't so, you know, inconvenient. Anyway, going back to the story here, Robert and Mary met in high school and they'd been married for 16 years. Robert had served as a firefighter until a back injury ended his career. Investigators learned that there had been tension between Robert and Mary following the injury. One day, Robert came to Mary with upsetting news. He was having an affair. Mary was shattered and asked Robert to leave. And in the reenactment, she's like, you just need to leave. And like the typical, you know, he goes, well, fine, fine. You know, (laughs) does that ever happen in real life? Has there ever been a moment where somebody responds that way? That that is their true natural response. Fine, Mike. Fine. Have it your way. Not 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 usually, um, but definitely on shows that were aired on Lifetime. Yeah, that's true. Really get away with the type of reaction that you and I would probably expect where it's like, well, you just need to leave. I need to leave, you know, that kind of, you know, it'd be the whole, like, you know, you leave, you fucking bitch, you know, that kind of thing. This is you my know, goddamn house. You, I've been <laughs> busting my ass for 16 years and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Robert headed north to the forests where he usually went to hunt. When he returned a few days later, he and Mary decided to go to counseling at their church. Robert had apparently suffered deep emotional scars after the, after the divorce of his own parents, and he was determined that his children would not experience that same emotional pain. They would just experience the physical pain of being stabbed and then burned alive. That was okay. Myrna Bitzer is Mary's sister, and she's quoted here as saying, Robert had told my dad often that divorce was not an option. He would not be divorced like his parents were. Robert stated that several times. Very, uh, 
Very insightful quote there, Myrna. Um, but Mary may not have shared those feelings, as Detective Kirkham discovered, quote, We spoke with a very close friend of Mary's and learned that she had confided in her that she was thinking about divorcing Robert. Neighbors told investigators that on the night of the murders, the Fishers had a loud argument. Detective Kirkham believes that if Robert did in fact murder his family, it may not, it may not have been premeditated, quote, I don't think he planned that, quote, on this particular day, this is what I'm going to do. I think that it was precipitated over a long period of time, and there was that one thing that triggered it, and that could have been the argument. Could Robert Fisher have murdered his wife and children rather than put them through the heartache of divorce? The crime... Yes. <laughs> yes. The crime scene <laughs> investigation uncovered intriguing clues. A disconnected natural gas line, an out-of-place candlestick holder and the residue of some form of highly flammable liquid were all discovered, along with Colonel Mustard and the lead pipe in the, in the billiard room. Um, the candlestick. Yeah. Detectives began to piece together a chilling scenario of what happened on the night of the murders. The stabbing wounds clearly could not have occurred during the fire. Now, they say that it could not have occurred. Can you imagine that? I, know, I, was, I was thinking in my head, <laughs> they, you say it couldn't happen during the fire. I say, I say that it could have. I... <laughs> in my fucked up twisted nightmarish friday the 13th scenario why couldn't he have just busted in the door as it was on fire with a flaming knife and just started stabbing them and then what were those kids thinking like geez this is just not my night at all like that's like that's like um I don't know. It's like if you're in the middle of the ocean and like an oil tanker exploded and you were like <laughs> getting eaten by a shark, but there's fire on top of the water as well. So it yeah. was like yeah. double Just death. overkill. Yeah, overkill. Well, it was overkill anyway. He stabbed them and lit them up. Well, I know why he lit them on fire afterwards to try to burn the bodies so then there would be no evidence. But he didn't think that through because there's things called teeth and other stuff like that. And not everything burns. Yeah, well, yeah, I clearly didn't, he wasn't thinking at all in a lot of aspects here. Um, I do I do think it was a crime of passion. I do think it was one of those, like, where he was, I don't think, like, he premeditated, I think it was just, like, he just freaked the fuck out and then killed them and then was like, oh, my God, you know, and then decided, uh, I can't live with this. Uh, but then he, he also decided, well, I, I still want to live my life, so I'm just going to leave. Yeah, I don't understand those people. Like, how? I don't get it either. How can, and his kids were like thirteen and ten years old. How do you raise a kid and put that much fucking time into that I kid's life? I think he might have been. I think he might have had an, a genuine mental illness. I really do think he might have been mentally ill or definitely had sociopathic tendencies. So maybe he didn't really show that as much empathy towards them as you might think. Especially if things were starting to fall apart. Maybe he was a control freak. Maybe it was like, I need to have, you know, the the love he had for them wasn't nearly as important to him as having them, you know, as having yeah. the family. It's just hard for me to imagine because, like, my niece, for example, she's just over one year old. And yeah. my family has already put so much time and energy into raising her and being there and caring for her. I, I just can't imagine like, you know, 10 more years of that and, and you are that much more invested in your kid just to like kill them later. I mean, that obviously I can't imagine it, you know, but. Well, I mean, yeah, because you're, you're you, you don't you have empathy. 
yeah, a very small amount, but I do have it nonetheless. Um, you know, I, I'm more of a narcissist than I am a, a, a psychopath or a, a cynical. You're, a, you know, you're what is this cynic? Cynic. There's no such thing as a cynic. Cynicist. It's a cynic. Yeah. Yeah. You're more of a cynic. So investigators theorize that several hours before the explosion, Robert Fisher slashed the throats of each of his children and then his wife. Geez, even reading that sentence is like, I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. In addition to having her throat cut, evidence showed that Mary was shot. God damn, dude. She's dead already. Leave her alone. Like, fuck. That's what happens to these crimes of passion. Like, it just usually is overkill. Like, remember, like we've seen ones where this woman was stabbed 52 times. It's like fuck's sake yeah i know yeah it's like she's dead already stop also the fire was too intense to be caused by a gas explosion leading to the speculation that some other type of flammable material was used investigators believe that after spreading gasoline around the house fisher disconnected the line leading to the gas furnace detective kirkham is quoted as saying as a source of ignition, we believe that a candle with a candle holder, this is actually a little ingenious uh, how, yeah. how he did this. We believe that a candle with a candle holder was used as a timing device in order to allow Robert time to leave the residence. Robert committed the arson in order to cover up the murders, believing that the bodies would be burned beyond recognition, covering up any sign of what had happened. But it didn't cover it up quite as well as expected. Now, now this particular part makes me question the idea that this might not, this was not premeditated. Because when you put this much thought into something, do you put this much thought into this, like at the spur of the moment, after he killed them? Oh my God, I killed them. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I, what am I going to do? Why don't I, I disconnect the gas line and light a candle? Yeah. You don't just think of something like that. Exactly. And also it's like, if it was, if you, because... The more I think about it, the more I like, kind of go back on the whole like theory that it was not premeditated. I do believe there might it might have been a crime of passion, but I think there were things brewing before that, and he already had some plans in place. Yeah. If this happened, if there was, I think the argument was, I'm getting a divorce, and then he's all like, "Fuck you," you know, that's not going to happen. You are not going to get a divorce. You are not going to divorce me. It's kind of like uh, the stuff of Fatal Attraction, but like the roles are reversed. <laughs> I won't be ignored. <laughs> well, I just think of that. I just keep going back to that candle situation. So in the reenactment, yeah. they show, it's, like I said, it's kind of ingenious. So he disconnects this gas line. So gas is slowly filling up the house. Meanwhile, he puts this candle on the floor of the house. And it's just a little flame, you know, like a starter, you know, to get like a stove going or something. Yeah, the kind of thing you'd see maybe like, like a candle that's like floating in the bathtub or something. It's a tea light candle. Yeah it's, a, it's yeah, it's just like a tea light candle. He puts it on the floor. So... Basically, in theory, as the gas fills up the house, it's not good. That little candle on the floor isn't going to ignite immediately. It's going to take it a while for the gas to fill up the entire house. And then finally, it's going to get to a uh, density to where it's going to, that candle's just going to ignite all of it at once. And it's going to create what ended up happening this gigantic explosion. That is something, especially before, like, the, you know, the proliferation of the internet. That is something that required a lot of thought and planning, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I think Fisher was also a uh, survivalist. I think he knew a lot more than he let on about this kind of stuff. Uh, as you can see, there's all these photos of him, uh, with, you know, with the moose that he shot and hanging out in the woods and and 
Yeah, I do believe that he knew quite a bit about stuff like this and, and other things and so on and so forth. So, um, a full-scale manhunt for Fisher initially turned up a few leads. Then, ten days later, Mary's SUV, which disappeared on the night of the murders, was spotted by a hiker. According to Detective Kirkham, it had been abandoned near Fisher's favorite hunting area. Quote, it was clean. There was no dust on it. It was underneath pine trees, and there were very few pine needles on top of the vehicle or in the vehicle, which indicated to us that it had probably been dumped there within 24 hours of discovery. Investigators hurried to the remote area, but the landscape was riddled with hundreds of caves, and days of searching produced nothing. But two theories did emerge. One, that a despondent Robert Fisher took refuge in one of the caves where he eventually committed suicide. The, other the actor in this reenactment, when they just show a quick shot of him, like, contemplating suicide, I wanted to mention that real quick, because I thought the actor did a really good job showing the look of confusion and remorse and, and, <clears throat> and grief on his, on his face. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he, they, they picked a good actor for uh, this reenactment. The other theory suggested that a cunning Fisher left the SUV behind to divert the attention of investigators and then vanished. I buy that one more. Yeah. Because he was very cunning already with how he set up the fire. So, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot more sense. I just think if he was going to commit suicide, like... I, I He would have just done it in the house. Right. I don't think he would have went out to a cave and, you know, why? Yeah, that why? would be like if, if Chris Benoit, after he did what he did, just drove over to a, a wrestling ring somewhere and then killed himself. I mean... Yeah, that's... when you're in that... When when you've made up your mind, if if you're not a sociopath and you're just... It's just truly a crime of passion. When, when, you've, when you've done that, you know, or you just do that out of anger or rage and you realize what you've done... Um, I don't know. I, I, I haven't. I've that's why Chris Benoit. I, I, that's why he, you know, he did it right then and there. Right. I mean, I, I don't feel at all that the, the death of his family was premeditated in any way. And that's a touchy case, but it kind of does tie into this because it's a similar thing. And I, I, I'm not absolving him of, of what he did at all. But I think people need to keep in mind that he was clearly mentally ill. Like, he was writing uh, notes in his diary that were clearly mentally disturbed. Uh, and he had a, a, a brain that once it was, it was tested after his death that was that of an Alzheimer's patient. Yeah, from all those Canadian suplexes that he uh, endured. Well, he does say it's a flying headbutt. That's his big finisher. And I feel that WWE and, and McMahon and company are in some ways a little bit responsible for what happened because they continue to let him do that move. They've understanding the consequences that that could that that move could have on his brain. I stopped watching professional wrestling a long time ago, but from my understanding, they, they've since outlawed a lot of moves. Yeah, they have. So they did that afterwards. But that doesn't change the fact that they still let him do it repeatedly. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it, it's they, they were naive in thinking that this wasn't going to cause some kind of, you know... And I also think he took steroids, too. Oh, dude, I think yeah, that was they, another dude, part they, of they, it. they all juiced, I mean, for the most part. You kind of have to. to well, I mean, look at the amount of uh, former wrestlers who died of heart attacks and, and at early ages. It's 
more than likely due to steroid use. On a more positive note involving professional wrestling, if you want to see some of the most hilarious promo videos in your life, search Macho Man Randy Savage yes, promo videos. Yes, yes, it's so great. It is. It, you it's have... like he's just... Ultimate Warrior promos are pretty funny, too. Yeah. Because he's just totally speaking like some space alien or something. Yeah, Macho Man, though, he he takes the cake for the best promo guy. But anyway, going back. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he motherfucker was on Arsenio Hall, you know, talking. Yeah. It just, God, he was he was hilarious. Uh, he was quick on his feet, too. Um, so anyway, um, Robert's sister, Jean, is left to wonder what became of her brother. Where would he be? How could he have gotten to where he would be? He didn't take any money with him. And he would be in so much physical pain from his back, I don't know if he did this. I don't know how he could be alive, knowing how much my brother loved his family. I, I, I You know, they say at the beginning, like, he wore a lot of masks. Again, typical sociopath. He, he's not going to show that side to his family, you know, and I don't know. Mm -hmm. Some of this shit happens later on in life. You just kind of snap one day. I, I am anticipating and expecting my snap. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm <laughs> fully expecting it's going to happen. No, you're just going to snap into a Slim Jim. That's what's going to happen. Oh, my God. Mike's dad <laughs> joke of the podcast right there. Um, no, but it tied in with what you were mentioning, Macho Man. It, you were asking for it, it. It tied in, but it is a dad <laughs> joke nonetheless. But it doesn't make me think any less of you, though, Mike. <laughs> um, however, Dr. Detect Dr. Detective Kirkham Dr. Detective Dr. De <laughs> Damn, how much money does that guy get paid? Dr. <laughs> Detective Lawyer Kirkham <laughs> President uh, Awesome Super Show Variety Hour uh. Believes that uh, Fisher is still alive He says, the vehicle itself was about a quarter of a mile Off an improved forest service road I like how he qualified it as improved for service road. It's not the um, crappy one that we all know about. This is an improved one. It's a fairly active area with a lot of traffic, and there are various places that one could use a phone, catch a ride, that sort of thing. He has probably started a new life under an assumed identity. Mary's sister, Myrna, also believes that Robert is alive. If Robert wanted to kill himself, he would have done it when he killed Mary, Brittany, and Bobby. That's my belief. So I do believe Robert is alive. Robert Fisher has been indicted for the murders of his wife and children. And that's all we got, unfortunately. Yeah, there is no update on his capture. Apparently, he's still wanted. He's still on the run. Fisher has since been added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Police have followed hundreds of leads, but have found no trace of him. In 2016, age progression photos of him were released. The FBI received several tips as a result of the photos and the hunt with John Walsh airing. However, it is unknown if anything credible came from these tips. Yeah, uh, this case was featured on America's Most Wanted and on The Hunt. And there was a clip of Fisher that was used in this segment where it shows him. It was like a home video and he's like pointing a gun, a toy gun at the camera. And when I saw that, like immediately it was like flooded with memories of watching uh, the Fisher case being talked about and discussed and mentioned on an episode of America's Most Wanted that I watched with my dad. So that was just like, whoa, like it was just a rush of nostalgia. Damn, there's some pretty uh, juicy comments in the comment section here on this case. Yeah. One, one person says, uh, I feel like this is worth a mention. Uh, I went to school with Bobby and Brittany and played on the same basketball team as her. Now, these are the kids that were murdered. 
Uh, they uh-huh. go on to say, I remember them being very quiet, well-behaved children and very bright. I watched their house burning live on the news early morning in Scottsdale, where we lived, and it seemed like it took forever for the firefighters to put the blaze out to see who was in the house. There were many rumors circulating around about what actually happened. The affairs were known about. I remember Robert attending the basketball games we played in, and just the look in his eyes were like ice. To this day, thinking about him sitting on the stands, not smiling, and dead silent gives me the creeps. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) The other rumors that no one ever found to be true or not were that he was in a lot of debt with some scary people. That he was actually a victim as well, and part of his punishment was to watch his family die. I don't believe this. His family held out a lot of hope, saying he wasn't that kind of man. But people snap, and he definitely looked the part. I believe he did it. I believe he ran and is still living his life somewhere while his wife and children lie in graves. He was an avid outdoorsman and could have survived out there in the woods for a good amount of time. He knew those woods better than the police. His dog was found with the SUV seemingly unharmed. I believe he left his dog and car to throw people off. Oh, they didn't mention the dog in in the Unsolved Mystery segment. Of course they are going to catch him if he's driving around in his deceased wife's vehicle. People who have dogs and know their loyalty know the dog would have waited there forever for him to come back. I hope they catch this monster. Brittany, Bobby, and their mom deserve justice, and Robert deserves to rot in prison like the pathetic, selfish person he is. I have feelings he fled to Mexico where he's close enough to the border, and everyone knows that if you are running from the feds, go to Mexico and you're pretty much safe. The little amount of money he took from the ATM would have given him a fine start in the poor country. He is on America's top ten most wanted list. Most of America has seen his face and would have no safer choice than to be in Mexico. If he killed himself, it would have been done in the woods. They would have found his body. I just hope that either one day he steps foot back in the U.S. and gets caught or dies a painful death like he put his wife and children through. No, I I concur. But I do disagree with their point that uh, there's no safer place than in Mexico. For for this white-ass motherfucker, this gringo, to go to Mexico, (laughs) he would have stuck out like a sore fucking thumb. I don't care how rich he is. Yeah. You know, not even being able to speak Spanish. Um, and then someone else... Then you have another another Tom. Tom uh, says something here. Uh, he says, I'm very dubious about the possibility of Robert Fisher still being alive. In the Tonto National Forest, there are caves all over the place, the overwhelming majority of which have never been searched by authorities, only a few in the relatively immediate vicinity of where his SUV was located. He could have easily wandered much further if he was so inclined and shot himself in a more distant cave. All right. In the document produced about this incident, experts agree that there are many caves in the area where the sound from a gunshot made in a suicide attempt attempt would not be heard by, for any substantial distance from such a cave. Over the years, the local wildlife would have been consumed would have consumed most of his remains. At least this is my speculation. The money he withdrew from the ATM would not be enough to keep him going for very long. Well, in Mexico, it would. He had military training and prob- most probably survival training. However, today this man would be about 57 years old, supposedly living off the grid for some 17 years. If you've ever tried to do such a thing, then you know how difficult or precarious such an undertaking actually is, even for a relatively short period of time. Yeah, but he's not doing it in the U.S. He's probably doing it somewhere else, and he's under an assumed name. Uh, for instance, well, the guy was a doctor, so that's a diff- he probably had a lot of money. But still, there's, there's a case of this, this dentist who was raping people and then he just fled to uh, somewhere overseas and changed his name and was uh, do it, practicing medicine and dentistry in Iraq or some Middle Eastern country. So, 
Yet, there have been no other traces found in the area that might indicate that some other human was actually attempting to live there or in the vicinity of where the SUV was located. He's not trying to live there. That's stupid. Why would he try to live there? I cannot say that his escape and reintegration into some other community is impossible. Certainly, it is possible. However, I think it's more likely probably killed himself not long after he abandoned his dog, an SUV in the Tonto National Forest, and the remains of his body are lying in some remote, remote as yet unexplored cave. That's, yeah, I've, I kind of feel like he's probably dead at this point, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, that could be the case. I don't know. So, uh. There have been cases where there have been people who've really, they've gotten away from the feds and from the, from the government for years. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if you're willing to do that to your family, then, you know, who, who knows what, uh, what other capabilities you have. Yeah. So let's go into our next story here. Uh, this is this is a pretty juicy steak right here. I've, yes. I've never heard of this case, and Mike brought it to my attention, and it's uh, it's it's really uh, it's fucked up. But you know, those always make kind of the more interesting stories. As sad as that is to yeah, say. Yeah. And this was not featured on Unsolved Mysteries, but if Unsolved Mysteries is on today, uh, they probably wouldn't feature this either because it's not really an unsolved mystery. But. This is definitely a very fascinating true crime case, uh, and uh, this is fairly topical, too, because this happened uh, fairly recently. Which is nice. So, this is about the dark cult with billionaires, stars, and allegations of sex slavery. Now, uh, this is from the New York Post, and this is an article by Ruth Brown. I want to give her credit. Uh, this is not for me. Uh, and I'm just going to be reading the article, and we're going to be giving our thoughts on it. So, Nivixim, or how do you say Nexium. it? Nexium. Nexium had all the hallmarks of a money-scamming cult, but the truth was far, far worse. Devotees of the upstate self-help organization pay thousands of dollars for seminars where colored sashes denoting their rank spout Scientology-like jargon and literally bow before leader Keith Rainier whom they call the Vanguard. Doesn't that that sounds a lot like Scientology? This is so yeah, yeah it's about Scientology like jargon. Totally sounds like uh, but just your typical cult, you know, like fashion yeah. in general. I would say or uh, uh, the uh, the guru and uh, 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 there was a documentary. Speaking of cults, I highly recommend this documentary. It's on Netflix. It's called Wild Wild Country. I gotta watch that. Yeah, you told me about that. And it's about Rajani's Param, and it was this uh, community that was built somewhere in uh, the boonies in Oregon, and uh, deals, deals with this self-proclaimed guru and his followers, and uh, how things got out of hand, and led to poisonings, and all kinds of crazy shit. It's, it's highly, I highly recommend it. So... And they might do a documentary based on this. I mean, later on, I mean, I could totally see that, you know. So Nexium has deep pockets, outposts around the world, and draws celebrity attendees, including British billionaire Richard Branson. I, I you know, I never liked that guy, and I have even more of a reason to hate that guy. Now. Yeah, he always rubbed me the wrong way with his, uh, I don't know, he just seems very... Just arrogant. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. And actresses Allison Mack, Kristen Crook, and Nikki Klein, and even hosted the Dalai Lama at an event in 2009. But behind the scenes, Rainier has been blackmailing his female followers into becoming sex slaves 
branded with his initials, while other women in the group were made to wear fake cow udders on their bare breasts in acts of ritual humiliation, federal prosecutors allege. Now, the branding thing, that's pretty intense. The fake cow udders, that's intense too, but also, to be honest, I gotta be honest, that's pretty absurd. And it's and kind of hilarious but um not acceptable but i mean i didn't expect you to go that way with it mike but that's hilarious and that's your reaction to it kind of but hilarious. it's true like, like i mean because if you saw that shit it would, it would be weird it would be disturbing and you'd be like why is this happening but you'd, you'd be laughing because it'd just be so it's absurd. like what is this some like b-level eyes wide shut shit you know going yeah. on you know like we're wearing fake cow udders and yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's twisted for sure i mean that's that's I'm not excusing uh, excusing any of this. Oh just, yeah, I know. You know I mean, I'm just talking about the honest reaction that a lot of people would have. It would be shocked and then it would be like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> is this? So on Monday Rainier, Rainier's uh, secret would secret world would come crashing down when authorities tracked him down in Mexico after a months-long manhunt and arrested him for sex trafficking and forced labor. He was arraigned in Texas on Tuesday, which uh, by this point in time, it's already uh, dated. Not not this Tuesday, I think last Tuesday or the Tuesday before that. And will now be brought to Brooklyn to face justice after what prosecutors say has been a lifetime of scamming and abusing women. Born in Brooklyn in 1960 to an advertising executive dad and former dance teacher mom who raised him in the suburbs, Rainier claims to have been a child prodigy who achieved the 1989 Guinness World Record for highest IQ and boasts of obtaining three degrees from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. In reality, investigators say Rainier struggled to complete his courses and graduated with a 2.26 GPA, having failed or barely passed many of the upper-level math and science classes he bragged about taking, Brooklyn U.S. Attorney Richard Donahue wrote in court documents. So he's similar to that uh, Starfire guy who was talking about how, oh, I did all this and I've done all this and I was a part of a super, super secret spy team or whatever. Yeah, a lot of this, when I read this article, a lot of it was very reminiscent of Strider Starfire and his neckbeard ways, like, you know, just my lady. <laughs> uh, uh, <huh>? uh, okay, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, he. Uh, so whatever the truth, those who know Rainier frequently describe him as a deeply charismatic man who easily convinces others of his own brilliance. Like Strider Starfire. Yep. As early as 1984, at age 24, he manipulated a 15-year-old girl into four, a four-month sexual relationship. The woman, Gina Melita, told the Albany Times Union. He took her to video game arcades where he was partial to an Atari shooter called Vanguard. Which... The title he would later adopt as the leader of Nexus. That's also hilarious. It's like, you know, I really liked this particular like Atari game. So that's what that's the name I'm going to give myself later on. Like, this is why I couldn't ever be a cult leader, because I don't think the name Mega Man X2 has the same ring as Vanguard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guy also looks like he reminds me a lot of Kevin Smith. Like he's got that Kevin Smith. Not look. nearly as fat, though. Not nearly as fat. But Kevin Smith actually lost a lot of weight. Oh, really? So. I didn't know that. Yeah, he lost a lot of weight recently. Well, good for him. 
So after working various gigs, including a, as an Amway salesman, Rainier made his first foray into multi-level marketing in 1990 with a buyer's club called the Consumer's Byline that soon boasted 200,000 members nationwide. That year, he also allegedly molested the 12-year-old daughter of a Consumer's Byline employee after grooming her as, his tu- as her tutor, according to the victim. Yeah. Um, God, this fucking piece of shit. Now, I, I, I wanted to get into, um, quickly, um, I wanted to read off an article about what child grooming actually is in, in regards to, you know, sexual predators, because um, I feel like it's a term that's thrown around a lot, and uh, I, I didn't know what it was. I only recently, did, I know it sounds naive of me not to know, you know, but I don't know everything, so I only recently found out what it is, so I have an article here about... Um, what what actually is child grooming there's there's pretty much um six stages of child grooming essentially it's the process by which an offender draws a victim into a sexual relationship and uh maintains that relationship in secrecy the shrouding of the relationship is an essential feature of grooming forensic psychiatrist dr michael wellner explains the six stages that can lead up to sexual molestation the grooming sex offender works to separate the victim from peers, typically by endangering uh, or engendering, rather, I'm sorry, engendering in the child a, uh, a sense of uh, that they are special to the child and they give that love to the child that the child needs. Um, different law enforcement officers and academics have proposed models of the stages of grooming. Uh, Since there are a variety of these models, it's best to think of grooming by sex offenders as a gradual calculated process that ensnares a child into a world which they are ultimately a willing part of the sex abuse. Now, stage one is targeting the victim. The offender targets a victim by sizing up the child's vulnerability, emotional neediness, isolation, and lower self-confidence. Children with less parental oversight are more desirable prey. Stage two is gaining the victim's trust. The sex offender gains trust by watching and gathering information about the child, getting to know his or her needs and how to fill them. In regards, in this regard, sex offenders mix effortlessly with responsible caretakers because they generate warm and calibrated attention. Only more awkward and overly personal attention or a gooey intrusiveness provokes the suspicion of, of the parents. Otherwise, a more suave sex offender is better disciplined for how to push and poke without revealing themselves. Think of the grooming sex offender on the prowl as akin to a spy and just as stealthy. Step three is filling a need. Once the sex offender begins to fill the child's needs, that adult may assume noticeably more importance in the child's life and may become idealized. Gifts, extra attention, and affection may distinguish one adult in particular and should raise concern and greater vigilance to be accountable for that adult. Step four is isolating the child. The grooming sex offender uses a developing special relationship with the child to create situations in which they are alone together. This isolation further reinforces a special connection. Babysitting, tutoring, coaching, and special trips all enable this isolation. A special relationship can be even more reinforced when an offender cultivates a sense in that child that he or she is loved or appreciated in a way that others, not even parents, provide. Parents may unwittingly feed into this through their own appreciation for the unique relationship. Step five is sexualizing the relationship. At a stage of sufficient emotional dependence and trust, uh, 
The offender progressively sexualizes the relationship. Desensitization occurs through talking, pictures, even creating situations like going swimming in which both offender and victim are naked. At that point, the adult exploits a child's natural curiosity using feelings of stimulation to advance the sexuality of the relationship. When teaching a child, the grooming sex offender has the opportunity to shape the child's sexual preferences and can manipulate what a child finds exciting and extend the relationship in this way. The child comes to see him or herself as a more sexual being and to define the relationship with the offender in more sexual and special terms. And then the last step is stage six, maintaining control. Once the sex abuse is occurring, offenders more commonly use secrecy and blame to maintain the child's continued participation and silence, particularly because the sexual activity may cause the child to withdraw from the relationship. Children in these entangled relationships, and at this point they are endangered, confront threats to blame them to end the relationship and to end the emotional and material needs they associate with the relationship, whether it be dirt bikes a child gets to ride, the coaching one receives, special outings, or other gifts. The child may feel that the loss of the relationship and the consequences of exposing it will humiliate and render them even more unwanted. So that's just a quick little thing, or maybe not so quick thing, on a ch- child grooming and, and what, what this guy, you know, some of the things that this guy did to uh, people. Well, I think it's important for people to realize it, you know, to see the signs and to hopefully put a stop to that kind of relationship before things really turn into rape and sexual harassment I mean, I mean, it's still sexual harassment with the with the grooming thing, but I'm just talking about like just know the signs before it gets. Well, it's even like worse. it's like the Strider Starfire case we talked about last week. It's yeah. like this guy was totally grooming that 14 or 15 year old girl into having sex with him. They'd go on walks alone. They'd spend a lot of time alone together. And I made the statement last podcast: there's no good reason that a that a, a grown ass adult, 40 something year old male, should be hanging out alone with a teenager. And I still kind of stand by that, you know, even I mean, even if it is like a mentoring or coaching situation, there needs to be it needs to be in a in an appropriate setting. There needs to be some guidelines. Yeah, it needs to be in a public place, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my two cents. All right. Back to you, Mike. (laughs) Okay. All right. That was a smoother transition than than pig stool. I don't know. Well, you just ruined it. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I was perfect picking. Insecure at the time, the victim, who later reported Rainier to the local police, told the Times Union, to have someone that mature and that well thought of to be interested in me, it was flattering. I was young, inexperienced, overwhelmed, out of my league. The girl's case was never prosecuted, but consumers' byline quickly attracted the attention of authorities as a suspected pyramid scheme. And in 1996, Rainier settled a lawsuit with the New York State Attorney General agreeing to shutter the company and pay a $40,000 fine. He must have been making enough money with that pyramid scheme to be able to just fork out $40,000 and, and be all right. Was this before or after he was getting bankrolled by the uh, sisters of the Seagram's millions? I think it's before. Okay. Spoilers. So... A year later, the smooth-talking salesman met a nurse named Nancy Salzman, 
a practitioner of hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming, whatever the fuck that is, rebranded himself as a self-help guru for business bigwigs, and together they formed a training center called Executive Success Programs just outside Albany. It was a hit. Totally see why. Within five years, thousands of people had bought into Rainier's hype and taken to seminars at satellite centers across the country, including high-profile figures like Branson, Black Entertainment, Television co-founder Sheila Johnson, former U.S. Surgeon General Antonio Novello, and Emiliano Salinas, the son of former Mexican President Carlos Salinas de Gortari. Sisters Claire and Sarah Bronfman, heiresses to the Seagram's liquor fortune, became devotees of the group, renamed Nexium in 2002, bringing their large pocketbooks with them. But the next year, people started asking questions when Forbes published a bombshell report, revealing not only Rainier's past with consumers byline, but also the group's eyebrow-raising practices. I think it's a cult, Edgar Bronfman Sr. bluntly told the magazine, explaining that his daughters had donated millions and hadn't spoken to him in months. That's got to be really frustrating as a father to see your fortune being just wasted on this bullshit. And seeing your daughters take part in this shit and not speak to you. Yeah, that's pretty, um, that's very characteristic of a cult to like cut off contact to like family and friends and people who might try to like get you. Yeah, what was it called? Uh, suppressive? Is that what it? Oh, an, an SP and a, su- a suppressive an person. Yeah. Yeah, the Scientology link. Suppressive people need to, uh, and there was like some specific term. I'm trying to remember it, where they, oh, disconnection. Yeah, yeah. Disconnect. If you have any, if yeah. you have any questions about Scientology, Mike, just feel free to ask me because I'm I'm a professional in the in the. No, no. I mean, I I know. It's just I I we did that podcast on going clear a while back. So, and also I just don't really try to keep up with Scientology because it's just so. Out I'm there. just wait. I don't know. I'm I'm too down the rabbit hole now. I'm I'm far too fascinated in it. Well, it doesn't help that fans are se- from this podcast are sending you Scientology books. Yeah, that but. would be your friend Mike that did that. So you can thank him when I convert. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was. <laughs> I'm just I'm just messing around though. So, but the next year they started questioning things, and upon the article's release, actress Goldie Hawn. Pulled out of a scheduled speaking engagement at an Nexium at an Nexium event. Good for her. Yeah, she was like, "Whoa, hot potato! Not gonna touch that one with a ten foot pole." <laughs> but stunningly, the sashes, the bowing, the hero worship, and the bizarre monikers masked a far more disturbing things going on behind the scenes. From the earliest days, Rainier parlayed his female followers' devotion into sexual relationships, keeping a rotating group of fifteen to twenty women with whom he maintained sexual relationships, prosecutors Good wrote Lord. in their criminal complaint. Many lived with him at his Clifton Park, New York townhouse, while other followers moved nearby. So it's, yeah, it's a sex cult. It's like uh, the polygamy, right? Is that what it is? Like we have all these different well, wives and po- stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, polygamy, it's not a, it's, polygamy isn't a cult. It's, uh, you know, just. Well, it's like that, it's like, yeah, but it's like that, uh, we talked about that case, that religious cult guy. Who had all these different wives and all these different people in the group? 
Yeah, I imagine we've talked about a, I imagine we talked about a couple of cases where that was the case. But it's funny. I actually heard somebody. Uh, I, I think it was this cult expert when I was delving into Scientology, and they actually said when it comes to cults and sexuality, it's it's always either one of two things. The cult is either very. Um, open with sexuality to the point to where they have their members participate in orgies and, you know, shit like that. Which I think Rajneesh Param was like that. Yeah, or it's the exact opposite where sex is completely forbidden and frowned upon and they don't want the, anybody um, having sex in the cult except for maybe with the leader himself or herself or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, has there ever been a female cult leader, though? I'm not sure about that. I think I would join a. Well, I think I would I join mean, a, coin, uh, a in Ra- in Rajneesh Param. Uh, the, one of the big main figures of the cult was a woman. So yeah, what is, what is Rajneesh Param? It, it ties. It's it's the it's the group in a uh, group of people who were following this guru in in Oregon. They built this uh, community over. I was talking about. It's from uh, Wild Wild Country. Oh okay. I think I'd be more willing to join a cult with like a female uh, leader just because I'm like, especially if she was attractive, because I'd be well, like, she's like not the main leader, like the main leader is still the guru, but like she, she was the one that was like his main right hand confidant, yeah. so to speak. So she was the one that was speaking to the media and all stuff and all, all, all this of that. This is starting so to like so sound forth. familiar to me for some reason. I think I might know about this cult already. I should still watch that, but yeah. Oh yeah, definitely still watch it, for sure. So, many lived with him at his Clifton Park townhouse. I found it fascinating that these beautiful smart women knew about each other and didn't seem upset to to share Keith, said Christine Marie, who was hired by the company in 1998 and soon began a sexual relationship with Rainier. It seemed like a, still it seemed like secret polygamy to me, she said. Rainier's twisted sexual beliefs made their way into the Nexium's curriculum, too, with disturbing hypotheticals that challenged whether incest and rape are actually wrong. Yeah, I think, I think that, would be the, that would be the time where I would bow out and be like, all right, guys, it's been real. Uh, you just said that um, fucking your sister may not necessarily be wrong. I, I got to go. I, I got a phone call that I got to take. And then I would just get the fuck out of there. <laughs> Well, also rape, you know, you also said the rape isn't wrong either, so... Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess the incest thing was, like, because, like, the rape thing, like, I could see some psychopath cult leader being like, it's not that wrong to forcibly have sex with a woman because God put me in control and blah, blah, blah. But for him to sit there and be like, it's okay to have sex with your sister, you know, like, that... I don't know. To me, it seems like a cult leader would 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 justify rape. So that's not as surprising as one saying, oh, it's OK to bone your sister, because I mean, that's just like uh, biologically, it's just so uh, like no, who who is attracted to their family member and to where they would even want to do that, you know, like it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It is, Not advocating rape though, by any means. Like, <laughs> let me get, let me go on record by it's sad that I'd have to even clarify that. But I'm just saying, in the sense of a cult atmosphere, it would not. It's not shocking to me that they would they would say that rape is okay. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Like yeah. that's not surprising. So, but anyway, yeah. Rainier physically assaulted at least two intimate partners and punished one 20-something Nexium member who developed romantic feelings for someone else by keeping her confined for 18 months, according to court documents. And he created a spin-off men's movement where women were humiliated for their inherent weakness, 
by being forced to wear fake cow udders over their breasts while people call them derogatory names. Now that they clarified that, now it's less funny. See, that's the thing. In the beginning, when it's just like, oh, just randomly putting on cow udders. Is this the first time you're but reading like, this article, Mike? <laughs> I, I did. I did read the article. It just I didn't. It's I, I don't honestly necessarily remember everything, uh, you know, so. My question um, is, what is the person who worked at the Amazon Fulfillment Center? What were they thinking when some random guys like, yeah, I need a I need like a, yeah. a tw- like three dozen fake. Now that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I need three dozen fake cow udders. Uh, okay, is it like a school play or something? Don't worry about it. Just send the damn udders. <laughs> Never you mind what I'm going to use them for. Yeah, so that's, that's, it's still absurd, though. I mean, that's definitely true. It's still absurd. And, and I think one of the, some of the reactions people might have is to laugh uncomfortably. And then be like, what Mike, the fuck Mike, don't try to, this? don't try to backpedal on your sick fuck uh, reaction, okay? <laughs> Hey, I'm not alone. Like, we both, hey, you know, you put your foot in your mouth, I put my foot in my mouth, you know. You know what? Some people sexually are into that, so that's not a bad thing. Feet. I don't know what to say feet, about that feet except. Mouth, feet fetishes. Just don't, just don't do that shit in, in, in this type of capacity. Oh, okay. Close-minded much? No, I'm just joking. Let's move on to what <laughs> so, else the article says. So some of Rainier's sexual history, including with underage girls, was exposed in a 2012 series of articles in the Times Union. Yet Nexium continued to operate and prosper, thanks in part to the Bronfman sisters' ability to bankroll lawsuits against a growing number of critics, according to a 2010 Vanity Fair profile of what it called a multi-million dollar, multi-front legal war. Hmm, that also sounds familiar. A lot like Scientology. Yes, it surely does. <laughs> In 2015, things got even more disturbing. That's the year Rainier formed a secret society within a secret society called the Vow, where women were recruited to be slaves under the false pretense of joining a women-only mentorship group. This guy just... The, the, the list of shit on the, his sick fuck list just gets... Just keeps growing. So female Nexium members were told that they had an opportunity to join an organization that would change their life, but had to provide collateral, like sexually explicit photos or videos accusing friends and family of horrendous acts to get in. See, I don't understand that second thing. Like, if it's a... It's yeah, a, if like, it, what, what? who gets off on if that? If it's a sex call, I, I totally understand, like, send me some nudes, you know, like, typical just horny guy, you know. But, like... Either that or send me a send me a video of you accusing your mom of doing horrible things because that gets me off too. Like what? Those things does not compute. Well, you know this guy is a total fucking sick fuck, so I'm not surprised that he also gets off. Mom, on that. you left the mayonnaise out for like a day one time and still made potato salad with it. That's sick. We could all gotten salmonella. Do you think it was something like that or? Yeah, maybe. Probably more serious, though. You think so? Maybe. All right. Although it might have been like that too. I mean, he would probably. Have you still ever gotten off. food poisoning? That's some pretty wicked shit. It is. So the mayonnaise thing. I've gotten, is... it, I've gotten it before. Uh, at, you know, ate some bad sushi or had uh, some bad food at some places before. Just, just. It's not fun. Three gallons of liquid coming out of both ends of me. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Yes. It's not fun. 
So among those who signed up were Canadian actress Sarah Edmondson and India Oxenberg, the daughter of Dynasty star Catherine Oxenberg. Only once the women had handed over the collateral that they were told they were now a slave. Subservient to another slave who is now their master, prosecutors say. Many of the women say they were branded near their groins with Rainier's initials in a film ceremony as other slaves held them okay, down. Okay, now that's 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 fu- that's, that's fucked up. That is yeah. that is crazy. Like I I, yes. I literally put myself. Even Scientologists don't. Yeah, do they don't. They don't do shit. that. Yeah, they don't do that. And imagine David Miscavige just he got so obsessed and so crazy that he just starts branding people with. No, David Miscavige would take that and be like, see, we are an organized, humane group of people. There are societies out there that will brand their logos on other people's bodies, but we don't do that thanks to LRH technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I, yeah, you're totally, you nailed it. Like, I totally, I could totally see David saying that. And exactly like that, too. It was like a bad horror movie. We even had these surgical masks on because the smell of the flesh was so strong. Dude, see that? I felt that, petrified. That is crazy. Like, I can't imagine being held down. Like, well, I can't imagine it was terrifying when I did imagine it. Like, literally a group of people holding you down and somebody taking a hot iron. And br- and they're all wearing these surgical yeah, masks. Yeah, and they're all yeah, wearing this. Yeah. yeah, like I said, it's like a, a, a horrific, like, eyes wide shut thing going on there. Like, it's just... It's insane. Like eyes wide shut meets hostile. Yeah, yeah. It's it's some shit you hear about in the movies. And, you know, these people holding them down. How do you justify that in your mind? Like, you know, this... They're brainwashed. Yeah, yeah it's, which is something... I felt petrified. I felt every part of my body was like, get out of here, run, Edmondson wrote in Vice. The women were also ordered by their masters to have sex with Rainier and endure torture, including sleep deprivation, ice-cold showers and extreme low-calorie diets. Now, that's some Scientology shit right there. Sleep deprivation, yeah. uh, ice-cold showers, uh, controlling the food intake. That's all That's all mm-hmm. some, some textbook Scientology. That's what happened in the whole... Yeah, the, the uh, uh, Rehabilitation Project Force, the RPF. Yeah. So when the Secret Slave Society was revealed in an October 2017 article in the New York Times... The FBI began probing Rainier and Nexium, and he fled to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. You can tell Mike is a fluent Spanish speaker. Yeah, I'm not. So, with the help of Claire Bronfen's cash, according to court documents, he attempted to go off the grid using a bank account and one of his dead lover's names that was stocked with $8 million as law enforcement closed in. But even as Rainier was hauled away from the luxury villa where he was hiding out, his pull on female followers remained strong. They jumped in a car and tried to chase him down in a high-speed pursuit, according to Don. Talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Yep. Is, is that... So, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. I was going to say, like, <laughs> did you die, Mike? <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's the kind of stuff that just kind of leaves you speechless, if you think about it. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, this is gonna sound fucked up after just saying all that. It's kind of cool though that this that this is something that's happened recently because so often on this podcast we're only talking about we're like literally dredging up like decades old cases and shit, 
And it's like kind of cool to talk about something that's actually recently happening that we can maybe stay on top of. And, you know, if any new information develops, you know, we can like get the word out that this these kind of things are happening, you know, and maybe like make yeah. some kind of a difference because it's still going on rather than, you know, some shit where it's, you know, what's done has been done and there's really nothing else that we can do, you know, to help or anything like that. Um, yeah, you know, and then uh -huh. the women going after him still and, 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 and being like, no, don't take, you know, it's just like classic mind control shit, you know, it's very, very similar to Scientology in a lot of ways, but you know, this is one of those cult, uh, Scientology is opposite of this cult in the sense that they are very puritanical in their views on sex and they, they feel like sex is only strictly to procreate and that's it. And this is one of those cults where like pretty much, you know, it's it's a way for a guy to get laid by a lot of women essentially seems like the end game, you know, to me. But yeah, that's the podcast, I, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike, are you are you clicking on something in the, in the background there? Yeah, I, I'm using my mouse. Also, I, I'm really hungry. So, yeah, I am yeah, too. That's a common, um, common theme. I'm starting to fade. <laughs> As am I. Well, anyway, um... As we uh, said, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash mysteries. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we recommend you join our Facebook group rather than liking our lame-ass Facebook page because the Facebook page literally does nothing. Um, and our, you can just go to the group section on Facebook, search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, we are going to ask you if you listen to the podcast and if you're a real human being because those are kind of prerequisite for joining the group because we don't want any non-human beings in the group and we don't want people in there who don't even listen to the podcast um so you can find us on there um you can find us on youtube separately but oh so equally uh you can find mike at youtube.com slash ocp communications he does movie reviews and uh, editorials sometimes uh i think the most recent thing you did was a channel awesome uh response correct Yes. This yes, is like I a did, uh... rare ass moment where me and Mike's most recent video is on the same exact topic. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to know more about the uh, Channel Awesome debacle, stick around for the B-roll because me and Mike kind of discussed that in further detail because we kind of, we agree on some things um, with this whole th uh, th situation that happened with the, the Nostalgia Critic and we disagree on some things. So um, yeah. So we actually get to hear us disagree on, on something for once. Yeah. Yes. Uh, usually it's Mike playing the devil's advocate in uh, these situations and going, well, but what about this or what about that? But but this time it's a straight up slobber knocker. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's such a ridiculous term. Um, but yeah, uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And like I said, I posted my... Uh, response, but I also did a, a video on the Super Nintendo Classic because I finally got sent one by Eddie and uh, per kind of your suggestion and uh, I think Eddie said I should do it too. I, uh, I I said fuck it. I'll go ahead and make that video and so I reviewed all the games on the SNES Classic uh, a year late to the party and that is definitely reflected in my view count um, th th mm -hmm. That video is not done the greatest so far, but I'm hoping it'll it'll pick up. I feel like I did a really good job on it production-wise. And then also, the last thing I'm going to pimp out is my new album, The Nightmare Inside You. Uh, if you guys... So you posted the SNES Classic I, video already? Yeah, I did. I, I think the, re the fact that I released the Channel Awesome video so quickly 
after the SNES video. Yeah, it didn't show up in my subscription feed. Really? So I guess I need to look for oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. bullshit. Yeah, that's, so YouTube probably fucked me on that one. That's probably why it has such low views. But yeah, um, my new album is out. You can find uh, the links to get the album will be below. If you've been following me on Instagram, which if you want to do that, it's Dancing with Ghosts, then the number two. I've been posted a bunch of very bizarre pictures on there of me in a gimp suit. <laughs> um, so if you want to see that, that. I've been getting all kinds of replies and different types of people who are uh, liking the photo and asking for more. Well, they're liking it. I don't know if they're necessarily asking for more, um, but that music video should be out within the next few weeks, and uh, it's going to be fucking weird and, and good. So uh, as for me and Mike, that's all we got for this week. Until next week, um, good night and good luck. I don't know. Bye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me. explosion rocketed a quiet residential neighborhood rocked oh rock well rocketed would have been good too <laughs> just sends it flying <laughs> sends the, the explosion just sends the entire, the, the neighborhood, entire neighborhood just... into space dude that's how that's how third rock from the sun became a show i don't know what i'm talking about right now it doesn't even make sense a powerful explosion rocked a quad. No, you know what? Rocketed, I like that one better. Like the scorpions just came <laughs> in on some fucking like space Cadillac. That would be awesome. Like, Here it would just be. Rock you like, a like a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought rhyming, Here I Am, 
and Hurricane were just horribly bad rock, you know. Yeah, but that song is so awesome. Yeah, it's alright. So anyway, a powerful expl- take three. Pow- it's alright. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fan of 80s like hair metal, really. And I consider that a pretty hair metal song, but I don't know. Scorpions are like barely I out- don't think they're hair metal. Yeah, they're they're just outside of the hair metal. They don't have enough hair, especially the lead singer. Yeah, but you know, the sound is very I feel hairspray in my ears when I listen to it. I'm like, what is this? Well, you should try to listen to some of their earlier work and their later work. It's it's well, not maybe I will. anything like that. <laughs> anyway, take four. I, I'm I'm just I'm just a little butthurt because uh, it's my favorite band. Oh, so, I'm damn. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, <laughs> no, no, it's cool. It's cool. Michael no, Sh- Matt, well, it was Michael Shenkar. He's a good guitarist. Yeah, he's uh revered by all the greats like uh, Kirk Hammock from Metallica and uh, all those guys idolize that guy. Any fucking way. This B roll. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Let me go ahead and mark that. 30 30. Any hoozles. We're just some chatty Cathy's today. Uh a powerful a powerful ex- Oh my god. <laughs> Slap yourself. <laughs> Slap my nuts. Okay, so a powerful. A... Let's have a moment of silence for all that have we've all we've lost this year in in 2018. Pour out a glass of Coke Zero for all that we have lost. I don't think he planned that. On this particular day, this is what I'm gonna do. I think it was a precipitated i think that it was precipitated over a long period that's a difficult word for me let me do a take two (laughs) 38 10 precipitated who the fuck ever uses that word in casual conversation unless unless they're talking about precipitation yeah like he's a weatherman yeah these people (laughs) definitely spoke to an attorney before they were interviewed it was precipitated well he's a detective Makes sense he talk like that. Oh. Well, I don't read this shit, Mike. I say it out loud, but <laughs> I, I say it out loud, but I'm not actually comprehending any of it. Okay, um He's quoted here as saying In this B roll, me and Mike go on a long winded talk about the Channel Awesome debacle online. If you guys don't know what Channel Awesome is, it it has people such as Nostalgia Critic and a uh, bunch of other YouTubers and you may want to skip this if you don't have any interest in the matter, but uh, if you do know anything about Nostalgia Critic or Channel Awesome, you might find this little discussion interesting. We disagree on some things, but hey, it's cool. I just don't think it's one of those like, oh, this happens all the time, you know, get over it type deal. Like, I, I don't agree Yeah, with I that, know my video but... came across that way, like with a get over it kind of like feel, yeah. but like that really wasn't my intention. Like that's, yeah. that's not really, uh, my, I, my, my main thing, my main, like, I, th- I guess my main take on it is you weren't surprised. Where that's that, the thing. Not only that, yeah. but like, it's like when you see Doug Walker, aka the Nostalgia Critic, I'm assuming this is B-roll, so I'm, I'm actually setting it up so people know what uh-huh. I'm talking about. Uh, the whole controversy with Channel Awesome, blah, 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 those documents that came out, whatever. My whole thing about it is like, if you've seen his movies or clips of his movies, they are so ass. And and like, even his, well, yeah. even his early stuff was like but so... But so is The Room. 
The room is terrible, and there's a lot of really bad low budget movies, but they still have catering. They still have at least some water. Yeah, for the cast and crew. I, like I don't know. Like I would even go. I would. I, I feel like the room. Like Tommy was so like had a lot of money that he was bankrolling. Like he was doing. Yeah, he was able to afford more shit than probably even Doug was able to get. I mean, like this is a guy who had like he a handheld shitty ass camera for the <laughs> longest time. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just silly to me that people would think that that certain things would be in place when it's so such a ghetto ass production. I don't know. Like that's that was my. To me, it's deal. not. It's not silly to me because of, of what I know about other productions and what I've read and other like making of stuff and interviews with people uh, who are in industry. Even some of the lowest budgeted affairs, they still have catering. Like, not super high-end catering that you'll get in a Scorsese film, like you mentioned, but still something. And especially when uh, the film that they were talking about, when they were, weren't getting water, was shot in the Nevada desert. Yeah. There was one uh, actress, there was one actor who was, you know, she was, like, passing out. And apparently, because this wasn't mentioned in the document, but I think it was mentioned on uh, another video from somebody who used to work there or some other thing. And they were saying that Doug was just like, just get some Gatorade or whatever. He was just being so insensitive about it. Yeah. Or how I about mean, the girl I, I, who was tied up, crucified almost, and left there get on a wall? And on she a like wall passed out. until she yeah. passed out. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like it's like you know, if if you are this inexperienced internet guy you're not gonna like think about any of that shit and it's gonna happen and you know well, at least with like the first movie okay i can get it the subsequent uh movies no i don't yeah. get that anymore and the actually the funny thing is <clears throat> is um by the, by the time the subsequent movies like suburban nights and to boldly flee and all that crap came out um like i mean Kick-Assia. yeah well kickassia <clears throat> was the first one right i thought it was suburban nights no no, I think okay. Kickassia was the first one. I I really hate that I know this information now. <laughs> I really I was a happier person when I didn't know this this shit. But anyway, yeah, like by the time the second and third movie came along, it's like he had gotten pretty popular by that point. And according to those uh, Mr. Medicare videos, uh, he was pulling in like they were pulling in like thousands of dollars a month in yeah. in revenue. Like they were doing pretty damn good. Yeah. So I mean, by the subsequent ones, it's like okay, you know, you could have. Excuse me. Yeah. You could have put a, a little bit more production and shit into your, especially a guy who makes a living reviewing movies. I mean, you would think that when he finally does a movie. Well, he, I I agree with that point. I've always made that his his movies are terrible. Like they're worse than some of the worst movies that I've seen. Like I'd rather watch. I mean, or as bad. For sure, I mean, especially. I, have you tried to watch *To Boldly Flee*? No. Like I couldn't even finish it. No, it's like almost four hours. Are you Are you serious? Yes. God damn! I didn't know it was that long. I only saw his review of *To Boldly Flee*, which he, you know, he, yeah, smartly enough, he tears it apart as he should. Because if he had like given it a glowing review, everyone would have been like, "Yeah, you're cr- you're crazy," but. God yeah. damn, four hours, that's that's fucking nuts. The ego on that guy to think that his and, shit... And, and he overworked everyone who was uh, working on it. 
to the point where it was just ridiculous. Like 18 hour shoots. Like they did four hours of a mo- almost four hours of footage in seven days. Yeah, I mean that's that sucks too because it's like you've already flown there, so it's like you're already there, so it's kind of like might as well do it, you know. So it's you're kind of almost like trapped. It's not like well, yeah, it's not like he lived in the well, same. It's also city. the whole thing where it's like why didn't why didn't you just leave type thing? Like some people were like that, like oh you you didn't have to do those. Oh, that was a point that uh, I made. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll accept that. That was a point that I made, but. You know, and that's cool, but I, I just want to add some context to that. Uh, during this time period with these uh, particular content creators and these producers, they couldn't just up and leave because there was nowhere for them to go. YouTube at this time was uh, notorious for just flagging and suspending channels and not really supporting fair use because it was uh, post the Viacom lawsuit the billion-dollar whatever lawsuit the Viacom threw at them, so they were being, like, extra touchy. Also, YouTube at that time did not have a wide array of partnerships available, and there weren't other uh, networks that were willing, MCNs that were willing to sign up people either. And if they created their own website, they still wouldn't get as much traffic or as much revenue as they would get from being on that guy with the glasses.com or channel awesome. So a lot of these content producers they stayed because that's how they made their money. Also, it's easy to look at it in hindsight like, oh, I would have left, but I mean it's kind of it kind of ties into other situations where and you were in abusive scenarios. Either it's at work or at home. It's not always that simple. Sometimes you only realize how bad it is. <clears throat> When you decide it's really bad and I'm going to leave. Like sometimes it happens that way. Like for instance, like things were pretty things. When I look back at my uh, time with my dad in Oklahoma city, there were signs that stuff was starting to fall apart anyway. And, but I didn't really realize how bad some things were until things really started to get really bad. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to leave. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it, it, I, I really feel that there should be some context put into it. And also with the whole don't do stuff for exposure. Yeah, nowadays, but back then, exposure was really hard to get. Unlike what it is today. And yeah, I would say it's still pretty hard because YouTube is just like just total chaos. It's just so many different things. And so many different copies and different versions of different uh, types of styles and so on and so forth. But back then, YouTube wasn't even like that yet. And it was incredibly hard to get exposure. And Channel Awesome and That Guy With The Glasses were one of the few really well-known sites to get that kind of exposure for the kind of work that these producers were making. I still stick to the point though that if 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 by them giving you quote unquote exposure means you're in the in the movie for 10 seconds to a minute at most that's not worth it. I mean, it, exposure to me is when they give you a significant uh Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's not just the movie, it's not just the movie thing. I mean, they did that because also they did the movie because if they didn't do the movie they would probably get fired. 
well, knowing there was a uh, lot what's of people who worked with that company. There was a lot of people who worked on that guy with the glasses or Channel Awesome who weren't even asked to be in the movie. So, I mean, I, I think that they, they wouldn't necessarily get fired, but... Well, they weren't asked to be in the movie because they weren't relevant enough, according to the asshole producers, probably. Well, it was a lot of the European, that guy with the glasses, people who... Uh, well, maybe they were asked, but they couldn't make it because it's all the way over in Europe. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I I mean, do you think these people were actually like making a living off of the revenue from uh, that guy? Like the oh, some of them. Yeah, the smaller. No, I'm not talking about Doug and the, I'm talking well, about yeah, so some of the smaller ones for sure. You think they were making a, a, an actual living like a livable wage off of that website? Yeah, ah, that's crazy. I mean, I'm, I don't know if, if, you know, one way or the other, but like I in its heyday, it was bringing in a lot of money for uh, different people. It wasn't just Doug making everything. Now, Doug did make a good chunk of it, but the site was more successful and the chode was making more money because of the fact that there were these other content producers that were also on the site. I guess it's rough. I guess it was rough for me. And, and you know, I, I made my video and, it, and it's my take and my opinion and everything. But I guess the rough part for me or the advantage that I don't really have is I, I literally wasn't I was like not around during that time. I wasn't paying attention. I, yeah. I didn't know anything. And it's cool. It's cool. It's fine. But like you, you, I guess you did keep up with that stuff. Like as it was like happening in its heyday, right? I mean, you were. Yeah. I mean, I, I started, uh, there was a friend of mine who was a fan of Nostalgia Critic and I checked it out. And then also now, now I remember another big reason why I started checking out the stuff on that site is because the crossover that he did with Angry Video Game Nerd. So yeah. that was because I was a big fan of AVGN and I, and I still am. I mean, motherfucker Mike is kind of a motherfucker um, for what I've been reading about him. But oh, yeah, he definitely comes off that way. It doesn't really seem like it's it doesn't seem like James is anywhere near as incompetent or anywhere near of an of an arrogant ass as uh doug and company yeah I, I agree with that i think james is smart in the sense that he he's kept everything very very close to him he's kept a very small close-knit group of friends who they they you know they do their shit you know only using two or three maybe four people at most and uh they, they don't yeah, there's not this like grandiosity to get the whole world on board with uh, Cinemassacre, you know, like he's not yeah. trying to bring everyone on and turn everyone into these stars and make it into this big network. He's just keeping his, this very insular, um, you know, group of people around him. He's doing his thing. And yeah, uh, he's arguably way more popular than the uh, Nostalgia Critic. I mean, his I mean, if you go by subscribers, at least, I mean. Well, yeah, I mean... It's got, like, triple the amount that Doug has. And well, yeah, I also feel that Angry Video Game Nerd, even though some of the content quality has kind of dipped a little bit, he still has some videos that are still of pretty high quality in terms of production values and in terms of content. I just feel like the novelty of, of what he does has, like, really... It's, it's, it's really jumped the shark to a certain extent. And oh, the nostalgia critic or no, a, angry a, video game a, nerd? angry video game nerd. Like I feel, well, he's evolved over the years. Like he's done stuff, really clever stuff, like the Polybius 
video and, and a few yeah, other yeah, that one was things good. like that. Yeah, I liked that so one. So that, that's why I... Yeah, some of the novelty might have worn off a little bit, but he's still trying to evolve and trying to do different things. Even though I hated the Christmas video he did, yeah, I think with every Apicary, everybody, I think that was a universally panned uh, episode for the most. No, part. actually, there were a lot of people who loved it and were defending I, it. In the yeah, but section, you know, there's there's kiss asses for every big you know star. Well, there's still kiss asses for Channel Awesome and Doug Walker after all of this. And I read recently that uh, Doug Walker was at a con recently, and they had this whole. Don't ask about the document or any of that, and you know, to the audience type sort of thing. Like, oh, really? Don't ask these questions. And one of the fans actually did it. Said, "Fuck it, I'm going to ask this question." Oh, wow. What and happened? Doug apparently answered. Uh, he says, "I can't talk about it right now, but I'd love to talk about how awesome my boss is." And. I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not, but even if he was, that's just the worst fucking way to respond to that. <laughs> it really is. So, of course, the fan was like, what? And then apparently there were like six other people who worked for Channel Awesome who were like, I'm done. I'm leaving. Like, this, this, he won't learn. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's nuts. So there's been people leaving already. Like uh, some people, like Chris Stuckman, he doesn't need Channel Awesome, and uh, and and there's other people. There's a lot of people who don't need it. Like Brad doesn't need it. Like Brad, Joe, the cinema snob, doesn't need Channel Awesome. Like he has a pretty Angry Joe. Sure, as shit doesn't need it. <laughs> no, <laughs> even though I'm not a fan of Angry Joe at all, but. You know. I, didn't, I didn't mind some of his work until he really stopped making content and then just started bitching about shit. And then I was like, okay, I'm done type thing. Wangry Joe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, dude, I'm like, so I'm, I'm like so new to like the history of all these people <laughs> and all this shit. Like I don't, I barely have, you know, I'm such an, a young, a fairly young, naive YouTuber in the sense that I've only been yeah. doing it for three years and you've been, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, but you know, when you have, it's just, it's just kind of frustrating me when I see people. And I'm not upset at you because I, I understand your point of view because you didn't really know all that. But like the people who should know better, yeah, that's what pisses me off. Yeah, there's like this popular YouTuber named Gamer from Mars who just is being super defensive about it, only mentioning the petty things and then acting like, oh, that's this is what you signed up for and shouldn't have signed a contract and. The, you know, all this other sort of stuff. And I'm like, you really need to have context on the situation. Oh, wow. And yeah, I fi see. I figured it I figured it was going to be one of those things where like popular opinion was instantly going to like turn against Channel Awesome, you know, in this like mass, you know, because that's how the Internet seems to work. It still, nowadays. Has, over, it still has over like a, a million subs. Yeah. Right they've lo it lost some subs, yeah, but not as much as um. Uh, like and that's honestly sad because this even if there were some petty grievances and there were admittedly there were i admit that that doesn't invalidate the real grievances like yeah. there's one guy who the gamer from mars guy is saying things like oh uh these you know these grievances you know these complaints are invalid because of the petty and the petty grievances i'm like that's just a bunch of bullshit i'm sorry 
Well, it, it, it was what it was. And it happened. Like, the site is no longer relevant, so none of this matters. I'm like, that. that's bullshit, too, in my opinion. I mean, I, I agree with the fact that the website's not relevant, but as far as it not well, mattering, yeah. you know, I don't agree with that. But, I mean, yeah. the, the, that Google Doc, like, it wasn't meant to be read as, like, a complete, like, work. Yeah, some of it was just bringing in context to certain things. Well, it was... Not it was, every single bullet point was just a complaint. Yeah, it was aggregated from Twitter posts from all kinds yeah. of various things so it's not like it's just saying these are all the complaints it's not saying like these are the most important things it's just saying here it all yeah. is for you to you know why like oh, wide open to the public for you to read and make your own you know come to your own conclusions which is kind of what they said at the end yeah. of the article yeah which is and there were people who did leave but they were also not really content producers they also had, and if they were, they weren't really relying upon it, and they did have other talents that they could take elsewhere. Why did Linkara so, leave? I think it's just because of this shit, this whole shitstorm. Shit well, like he knew it was going to come out or something. Well, maybe, and well, he did. He was a part of it. Yeah, the doc. So he was probably just like, "All right, doc comes out, I'm gone." And you could see in the doc, he was trying to make things work. He was trying to fix things, trying to get them to fix stuff. And they were just ignorant about it or just stubborn. I thought his uh, so, I thought his complaint about them not letting him use their studio was pretty petty, though. Like, Yeah, that was. It, that was. It's like, I mean, I skipped through, I skimmed through a lot of some of the stuff that he was uh, talking about. Um, so, yeah, that was that was pretty. Uh, Lupa just throwing shade at a at a the nostalgia critic and his Disney December videos. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, lazy Disney that was pretty petty. <laughs> but she still had some uh, valid points. Dude, like getting I, fired she, just for showing up 15 minutes late to a Skype. She call she commented being, on that video you did. That was pretty cool. I know. That's cool. yeah. That's crazy. I know. Has, has that ever happened <laughs> to you before? I've had some people comment on stuff like I've had uh there yeah but no, nobody like technically internet famous yeah like that so that was pretty cool well I have had I mean there's a YouTuber named Bobby Burns who has some decent uh, subs and he put a video of mine in one of his videos where he was talking about movie remakes so I've, there's been that and I've, and I've I've been on television introducing RoboCop when it aired on the El Rey network. So, so you, so I, sh so why am I not blowing you right now? <laughs> because I, it, it's not super, super big shit, you know, it's like, it's just, Mike, I'm going to need your autograph mailed to me <laughs> so I can tattoo it on my ass. <laughs>